Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. In today's show, we reconnect with Will Purdue. Will is very connected to the Vanderbilt Athletic Department. Of course, you know him as the former SEC Player of the Year at Vanderbilt, won world championships with the Chicago Bulls. He is involved in sports media in terms of doing basketball games on the radio during the NCAA tournament and the NBA season. Anyway, we're thrilled to have Will back with us today, taking time out of his busy schedule. We will touch base on the state of the athletic department and the football program, and even a little baseball and basketball as well. Will also tell us a couple of things from his Vanderbilt career of interest. So with that, on to our interview with Will Purdue. Joining me today, my friend Will Purdue. Of course, if you have followed Vanderbilt for a long time or even a short time, you know him as one of the all-time greats in basketball program history. Of course, played with the Bulls, now does a ton of radio work. Will and I had grand plans, which we hatched back in November to do a lot more work together, and then Will's life got busy, and I had the little matter of heart surgery, and life went many different directions, uh, but we have put our heads back together and are rededicating ourselves to doing this, and Will, great to have you back, thrilled to have you on today, and I know our audience will be very eager to hear your thoughts on the topics we'll discuss today. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Um, you know, first and foremost, as you and I discussed prior to this, you know, you updated me on your situation and everything's going well. So I think everybody is, is pleased and happy about that. I had a buddy of mine um, who I'm actually going to sit down with. We've been trying to catch up for the last couple of weeks. He, he had a, uh, a term that he threw in the email and he threw it to me. He said, um, I unfortunately jumped on Mr. Toad's wild ride and uh, have been trying to catch up ever since. So uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't think it's just us that have gotten lost in uh, life's daily activities. It's just, uh, you know, it just seems like there's always something pulling us in different directions. We just need to get our priorities straight. That, that's right. Well, I look forward to doing many of these with you this fall. And speaking of priorities and, and busyness, lots going on at Vanderbilt. I saw a picture today where they've started to dig out the end zone, I guess, to deal with some sewer lines and some things there. So may not be buildings going up, but it seems like some work has started over there. We've talked about Vandy United. I'm sure they're still raising money for that. And in the meantime, there's lots of other topics coming up. NIL, Transfer Portal, we're going to get to those two things later. But in terms of Vanderbilt and construction, progress, changing of the culture with athletics, all things like that, I think we last did one of these about five months ago. What are your thoughts on the state of where everything is with that now? Well, Chris, I think they're obviously making progress with a couple things, you know, and and I'll be somewhat general, but we'll talk about you know, what I know and, and how I feel about it. And I think that, you know, with Vandy United, I, I think the, the, the thought is, is necessary. The uh, goal is, is obviously needed. 
you know, the one thing that we have to understand and, you know, I've been somewhat critical at times and, you know, as I've had the opportunity to kind of sit back and think about it, the amount of money that this, that this athletic department needs to raise to get this stuff done is enormous. You know, we're not just talking about millions of dollars, but we're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars. And I think that, you know, just to, to say this, it's unfortunate that it got to this point that the facilities have reached this, I don't want to say archaic level because there is some, some history involved, but, you know, we're obviously behind the eight ball. So, you know, with what Candace Lee is trying to accomplish and the fact that she's basically been handed, um, I don't know the best way to put it, but it's just, you know, she's not, she was not put in the best situation. They're making progress. And I say the best thing to say is they're making baby steps. They are raising money. You know, we are in a society now of instant gratification. When you announce that, you know, Vandy United needs $300 million, you're like, oh, I mean, you should probably be able to raise that in seven to 10 days. I think that a lot of former students, fans, uh, student athletes, you know, they are getting those that are willing to step up and, you know, donate immediately. Um, I think maybe it's not going as smooth as they thought it might, but they are making progress. And, you know, and I, I do want to give the school credit for chipping in and starting this whole fund. And I think it was, I think their allotment or their piece of the pie was a hundred million. And I think that, you know, we need to give, you know, Chancellor Deermeyer some credit for doing that. You know, I personally think that the school could afford to give a lot more, but, you know, again, let's let's not step up to the plate and try to hit a home run. Let's try to get some singles and doubles out of this thing first and foremost, you know, before we get a little carried away. I know that we had to set back with the power plant issue, but at the same time now, it seems like that, you know, they've regrouped, they've got their footing, and they're starting to make progress, again, little by little. And as you talked about, you know, we now have shovels in the ground and we're actually seeing uh, some things change physically. And I think that's a good sign. Again, and I think that's a little unfair because I've done it and I'm guilty of it, but to sit here and talk about the progress that's being made at Georgia or Alabama or LSU or basically any other, you know, SEC schools is unfair. But at the same time, this is the conference that we're in. These are the teams that we're competing against. You know, I don't, I don't want people to get, you know, upset, but I'll use the term. It's, it's an arms race. And we have to find ways to be able to compete with these teams, not only on, on the, the field and in the gym and on the diamond, but in the same way, be able to consistently 
compete with these with these other schools financially. And that's that's going to be difficult. But that's one of the tasks that's being assigned to Candace Lee and Tommy McClellan and the rest of the people, you know, within, you know, the walls of McGugan. They have to figure that out. And it's an uphill battle. And it's one that, you know, some like myself and others feel like needs to be, you know, a little faster. Maybe, you know, instead of a, you know, a little, little four-cylinder engine, it's a six-cylinder or an eight-cylinder. But we are making progress. So I do want to give them credit for that. But I think that just like me and everybody else, people are impatiently watching the progress. And as things, as they make progress, I think more and more people will then stand up and be willing to participate. By the way, there's a very heavy thunderstorm going on just outside my house where I sit. So if there's background noise or loud pops or anything like that, and hopefully we don't get this podcast knocked off the air. But well, I hope not, but also I live where I live in Chicago. I'm right across the street from the fire department, and they just went out on a call, so I'm not sure if the people listening heard that as well. <laughs> I, I, I did not, but just if people hear it, it's not your it's not your sound. It's it's on my end. But anyway, we're going to spend most of today, Will, talking football and futures there and all the topics people want to know about. But i got to ask you, with baseball, there's been a, a little bit of a freaking out among the fan base. I Probably not a little bit, a lot, after the team missed expectations this year. Of course, it got hit really hard through the draft transfers are hard to get at Vanderbilt. There's a lot of topics we can go into, but how are you feeling about the state of the program and maybe conditions in sports that have changed that didn't exist two or three years ago and the footing Vanderbilt is on there going forward? I think it's still solid. Um, you know, at, you, you just, you kind of knew at some point they had to have a down year, right? You just, when you start doing the numbers and you think about the success that they've had and the continued up upward trend of the program, you're like, at some point they're going to slip or they're going to miss a step or they're going to trip up or something's got to happen. Right. I mean, it, it, and it did, I mean, it was disappointing. It was unexpected. I think that, um, and again, kind of like what I was talking about before relating to the athletic department as a whole, I think the one thing that we can all agree upon with Coach Corbin is we've, we, we've taken baseball for granted. You know, I think that, and that's, that's difficult to say because you're like, well, what do you mean? You're like, well, you just expect them to compete for the SEC title every year. You expect them to make the, NC, you know, the NCAA tournament. And you expect them to go to the College World Series. That's a given, right? And then all of a sudden that doesn't happen. And you, it makes you sit up and be like, hey, wait a minute. What just happened? What's going on? I mean, it, are, are alarms going off? Should we be concerned? Is, is this the end of the, is this the, end of the ride? Uh, you know, so I know, you know, Coach has taken some heat. I know people have been disappointed. But it's... You know, it's one of the things that I've learned as I've gotten older, you know, everything's not always going to go as planned. And this is 
technically you could say something different, new for Coach Corbin, but it's they obviously had a lot of adversity that past season. So how do they respond? How do they come out this year? What are the expectations going to be? And, you know, what can he do with the current roster that's, that he's going to have? And you start to ask yourself, you know, as school gets ready to start and the athletes start getting back on campus, you know, I'm sure that he's talked to these guys and he's asked them, you know, about reassess what it is that you want when you step on campus, not only from an education standpoint, but an athletic standpoint, because, you know, this is the org- this is the the team the organization that people look at. This is they're setting that standard as you talked about with you know what Coach Lee has been able to do you know with football and slowly changing the culture. Everybody out there is constantly looking at baseball and Coach Corbin as you know the gold standard. What we're trying to accomplish. So when he falters, you know sometimes you wonder if there's a little bit of a trickle down effect. But I think that, you know, the big question is everybody's waiting to see how they respond. I'm going to ask you a similar question with football. Let's not get into NIL and and the portal and all that right now because we're going to in just a few minutes. But how are you feeling about the state of the football program right now? I know everybody knows there's a huge rebuild, but I think you can see progress in recruiting I know that you're very confident in Clark Lee's ability to do the job. What's your assessment of where they are heading into fall camp as a program? Well, first of all, let me say this. I think that the one thing we have to continue to accept, and this is the hard part, again, as a former athlete, you know, from Vanderbilt, this is the, where the patience comes in. And again, I was talking about our, you know, instant gratification society, and I've gotten caught up in that as well. Um, you know, and I've been, been critical of the athletic department at times. Um, I think that the direction they're headed is obviously the right direction. As you mentioned in the open, we know we wanted to talk about the culture. I think that he has changed that fairly quickly. Now, they've lost some talented players to the portal, but at the same time, that's not necessarily such a bad thing. There may be some players that when Clark Lee stepped up and talked about accountability and, and what he wants to do with this program, they may have just stepped back and said, oh, that's, that's not me. And that's okay. But I think that, you know, they're going in the right direction. I think we can honestly say this is a four-year plan. And when I say four years, I don't mean, hey, by year four, we're going to be back in, you know, back into the, uh, you know, bowls, bowl uh, season. I think by year four, you're now as a fan, you're now as a member of the athletic department, feel comfortable and confident that now this is where we want to be. This is now the year where we really see significant change. Freshmen have matured into sophomores. Sophomores have matured into, into juniors. The talent pool that they're picking from is so much better. They have depth. And now they can say that we're ready to compete. And when we say compete, we're not necessarily talking about going six and six. 
in, you know, making a mid-level bowl, we're talking about now, not saying it's going to happen, but you're now in a position to where if things go right, and there's a lot of luck involved, timing's key, that all of a sudden you're eight and four. But six and six is the baseline, I think, at that point. And, and anything above that then is fulfilling expectations, not gravy. And I think that's what Clark Lee is working on establishing. I think that that's what he's continuing to try to get people to believe in. His message has stayed the same. And, you know, I think in year two, we need to see uh, a team that's more efficient, a team that we feel is better, a team that has more talent, a team that is stronger. And I think we can all agree just going into camp, we do feel that because of the talent that he was able to bring in in a short period of time with this freshman class. One wet blanket on the offseason was losing assistance. I know that he had some go to the NFL. He lost his defensive coordinator to Michigan. What is your thought on that, what it means for the program? Can they retain top-notch assistance going forward? Well, that's just not a – quite honestly – Chris, that's not a, just a Clark question. I mean, that's an athletic question. I think, A, that's a, a really good thing. It's a good problem to have because it just tells you right there that Clark has done an excellent job of identifying talent. Coaches that not only he, but as you just talk about the NFL, but other Power 5 schools have seen what these guys are capable of, what they can do. So can you complain when he loses a guy to Michigan? Or can you complain when he loses a guy to uh, you know another Power 5 school or the NFL? Or quite honestly, maybe somebody leaves because it's, it's the school where they win and they've always wanted to be a coach there and want to be able to you know, be, be, get back into that program. I think the one thing that Clark has done an excellent job of in, in replacing those guys is now he has the confidence in himself because this isn't just about him developing confidence in players. It's about him answering questions about, hey, am I built for this? You know, we as alumni and fans think that he is, but at the same time, you know, when you're not winning games, you can you can sometimes question, you know, your your direction, your motivation, your confidence. I'm not saying his confidence has been shaken at all, but I can also tell just as an athlete at the, at the NBA level, you know, when you lose games, sometimes it, it can, you know, it can get, it can get to you. It can, it can shake you. It can bother you, you know, rattle you a little bit, but you always write the ship. And I think now he has gone out and found, found guys that he has some type of connection with the relationship with. So then you can talk about that. Yeah. You know, they acclimate a little faster. And I think that, uh, you know, quite honestly, I don't think you'll see this team miss a step. Now, I know I'm being very positive, but at the same time, when I say that, it's also going to be the responsibility. And this is where I said it's not just a Clark issue. The athletic department is going to have to step up and help Clark by increasing the value. And I'm talking about money because when it all comes down to it, money talks. He's got to be able to increase the, the, the amount that he can pay these assistants and how much money is actually in that assistance pool so that if maybe somebody comes and it's a lateral move, 
from a position standpoint, but from a financial standpoint, maybe it's a little more money, they can step up and respond. Because you also got to remember, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but a, a positive about Vanderbilt is because of how big the city is. Maybe a negative about Vanderbilt is, is because it is in Nashville. It's one of the largest growing cities in the country right now. But just the cost of everything is so much more than it would be in Athens or Baton Rouge or basically any other school in the SEC. So I'm not saying that you're, you're overpaying for coaches, but you got to realize that a dollar goes a lot, a lot farther in some of these other small towns than it does in Nashville. And that's where they have to, to be able to, to respond to that and provide that bigger um, dollar for the coach, assistant coaches pool to help Clark be able to retain these guys. Yeah, on a side note, they'd be not doing their due diligence if that comes up, if they don't mention no state income tax here, which which probably helps offset that somewhat, though not certainly all the way. But another question kind of in that in that vein, the recruiting the first year, according to, to most of the services, was was very good for Vanderbilt. Now still at the bottom of the league, but I maintain there's there's a big difference between being way at the bottom and, and close to the bottom. Vanderbilt has operated close to the bottom before with, with teams that ended up having some some success. But then you introduce the transfer market into this as, as a bigger player. Do you think he's got the right recruiting philosophy as it relates to how they're going to have to assemble a team within the coming future? I think so. And that's why I'll kind of go back to um, the four-year plan. Because I think when it comes down to it, and I, we'll get into this with the transfer portal in a minute. I think you have to take the approach that when you're recruiting a guy, you're looking at a guy and, and you're asking the question, okay, where is this guy going to be in three years? When this guy is walking on campus as a junior, where is he from an improvement standpoint? And that's where we go back to the, the assistance and the development aspect. Because as, as good as Clark is, he's only going to be as good as his assistants are because those are the guys you develop the relationships with. I remember when I was there and this hasn't changed, you know, the process has changed, but those are the guys, the assistants are the ones you spend the most time with. The position coaches are the ones that, you know, you, you build that relationship with. So that's where the retention comes in, right? With the assistants. But at the same time, because of the quality and the level of those assistants, you have to be able to develop those players. And I think Vanderbilt is a place that has to be better than Georgia, better than Alabama, better than LSU. Pick a school in the SEC where you're developing those guys, not necessarily from a freshman to sophomore year, but from a freshman to a junior year. And then all of a sudden, Vanderbilt, as we just mentioned, steps up and has that year where it goes eight and four, nine and three. And I know people are rolling their eyes and being like, man, you're dreaming. But I, I truly do believe that Clark feels like he can get there. And as a former athlete, and I know I'm a basketball player, you ask yourself, well, why can't they? I know it's going to always be tough because they're in the SEC. But you know what that means? You will have a year where you catch South Carolina. I mean, look at their schedule this year. Missouri, South Carolina, Kentucky, 
Tennessee, Florida. I mean, there's some unknown with these teams, right? And with that element of unknown becomes excitement. I'm not sitting here saying you're going to beat all these teams, but considering the talent that is going to continue to improve at Vanderbilt, maybe you catch some teams when they have a down year, and all of a sudden eight and four is a reality, nine and three is a reality. But you don't realize that reality till the middle of the season. And that's why, as a former athlete and even me talking to former players, how refreshing it is to see Vanderbilt's name on the recruiting trail with a lot of these other Power Five schools. And we're actually getting some of these guys because they realize I can get to the NFL just as quickly by going to Vanderbilt as I can to some of these other schools. Oh, and guess what? By going to Vanderbilt, I might actually play a lot sooner than if I went to Alabama or Georgia or LSU or one of these other schools because of the fact of the need of talent. And then that's where you get recognized. And that's how all of a sudden, because that's the one thing I continue to tell people. Go look at the NFL rosters and how many former Vanderbilt players are playing in the NFL. They may not necessarily be well-known players, but they're still on rosters. They're still playing. They're still helping these teams win. And I know it's, it's not as much as some of the other schools, but they're there. And it's proven that you can go to Vanderbilt and get to the NFL or the NBA or Major League Baseball. So, you, can, you know, I don't think that any coach is using that as an excuse as you can't. Other coaches at other schools, when they find that they're recruiting against Vanderbilt, try to use that as an excuse. But I think that that falls on deaf ears now, too. This season of the Vandy Sports Podcast has been made possible by my friend, Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. When it comes to general or cosmetic dentistry services, Jody is the best in Nashville. Just check out his client list. It testifies to that. He sees movie stars, music stars, athletes, coaches, you name it. Jody is the dentist of choice for stars in Nashville, but he sees regular folks like you and I as well. What people love about Jody's office is the ambiance. It's relaxing. It's friendly. Someone described it to me as a tooth spa. Whether your needs are general or cosmetic, go see Jody today. Call him 615-270-2322. See him at 55 Music Square East, not far from downtown or the Vanderbilt campus. Jody is a former Vanderbilt football player and a huge Commodore booster, so go and talk Vandy sports with him while you're there. Go see Jody Jones today. Thank him for his support of this podcast because without it, this season would not be possible. Clark Lee did two things at Media Day last week that caught folks' attention for different reasons. One was the we can be the best program in the country statement or however exactly that was said. The other one was basically naming the starting quarterback, that being Mike Wright, down at Media Days. What did you make of those two developments? Listen, it's – I understand – I mean, that, that caught me off guard because I think that Clark has been really good about, you know, tempering expectations from the fans and being very transparent on how much work is, is still needs to be done. But that's why I – to me, coming from Clark Lee, that statement means a lot more so than in any other coach that's been there because of the fact he played there. And the reason why I say that is, is because I don't think Clark Lee would just make that statement to rile up the fans to get, get traction on Twitter. I think that's something that he truly believes he can accomplish. 
Now, is that lofty? Yeah. But I think that's one of the reasons why Clark Lee is the right guy for the job, because I feel like he truly believes that. And if he's given the right tools and help, that he'll be on that path. Now, that could be a lifetime goal. Who knows? But, you know, I think that that's is it something I truly believe could be accomplished. Realistically, maybe, probably not because of the fact of who you have to compete against every year in the SEC. Maybe if they were in a different conference, I might jump on board and be like, hey, with the right, right timing and, and how things fall, you know, possibly. But listen, that's a long time down the road, so we'll just have to wait and see. But I love the fact that he's made that statement because now we can hold him to that. And I think that's what he wants. That's what he expects. You know, a lot of coaches are afraid, are afraid to make that type of statement because then once you make it, you can be held to it and be accountable. And I think that's the one thing that Clark Lee is not afraid of. Secondly, when you talk about, you know, the quarterback situation with Mike Wright. Now, I don't know this for a fact, but just from my experience of playing professional sports and, and college sports, talking to scouts, former coaches, you know, it's kind of interesting, you know, being here in Chicago, one of the guys I get to talk to a lot is Dave Wonstadt, former NFL assistant, former college head coach, former, you know, uh, head coach in the NFL. But just listening to him talk about, you know, expectations and listening to him talk about talent and, you know, what coaches say compared to what they actually truly mean, you know, I think that that statement was made because at the present moment, as we go into camp, Clark Lee feels like that Mike Wright is best suited for what Vanderbilt's strengths are. And let me, let me clarify that. Mike Wright may not necessarily be the best quarterback that they have on the roster at the moment, but Mike Wright, at the moment would be best suited for what Vanderbilt's strengths are. And let me ask you, Chris, what is, what is Vanderbilt's strengths? Because I feel like if the offensive line continues to develop big, if, if the offensive line can, can stay healthy, another big, if that the running game, I don't want to say it could be the, the best in the sec, but could be really, really good. And then you throw Mike Wright into the equation. What's his best strength? His ability to run the football. That really, in my opinion, then would say that Mike Wright is the best quarterback for what Vanderbilt has at the moment from a strength standpoint. Right? Yeah. But that doesn't necessarily mean that he is going to be the starter when they play against Hawaii. Who knows what's going to happen in camp? Maybe Kenny Seals steps up and gets back to his freshman form. I, you know, I hear A.J. Swan has a cannon. Maybe he steps up, but it, it's just, you're going to, but you know, those are guys are more your prototypical drop back pocket passers. We're not sure, you know, if the offensive line can hold up again, we talked about that being a big if, but you'll, you know, probably a little more than I do because you're closer at the present moment. When you look at this Vanderbilt football team is the running game, not their strength. 
I think if you compare their stable of running backs to what they have at receiver and tight end, A, it's more proven. B, it's probably closer to SEC-level talent than the receivers and tight ends group is. Now, I've not asked them that directly. I do know that receiver is probably, in their minds, the biggest area of concern on the team heading into fall camp. And so do a little deductive reasoning there, and I think what you said adds up. And that's why I think he made that statement. But at the same time, I think he's also sending a message to A.J. Swan and to Kenny Seals, step up. Put me in an uncomfortable position to where I have to make a decision. And that's what every coach wants. He wants to be in that position to where he's got to make a really tough choice, not an obvious choice, a tough choice. We got a lot of ground still to cover with those other topics that I have hinted at. So with that, I'm ready for the mailbag if you are. Yes, sir. All right. Today's mailbag is sponsored by Sutherland and Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in an accident, give Taylor or Russell a call. That number 615-846-6200. See what your rights are and if they can help. Believe 22 says the last time you spoke with Chris... You mentioned trying to influence the administration to better focus on athletics. How is that going? Does the Vandy United work represent significant improvement in your mind? And if not, why? So I don't, it, it's, we have to kind of let this Vandy United play out a little bit before I can use the word significant. I will sit here and say it is an improvement. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. So I think that that's the best way to answer that question at the moment. Significant to be determined. Improvement? Absolutely. And the second part of that question, I do believe that with Deermeyer at the helm, there is more focus on athletics. I feel like that, and I don't, listen, I don't know this for a fact. This is just from previous history. You know, and when I say previous history, I mean, previous chancellors got significant pushback from the academic side when they tried to make athletics more important, more significant. And I I don't know if he's getting that type of pushback, but I do know that is, is that, you know, he is stepping forward. I think that they are making changes again, slower than I would hope. But right now, you know, what they're showing is improvement. I would love to be jumping up and down and beating the drum and say that, you know, this is exactly what we had hoped for and this is exactly what needs to happen. But I feel like that we're going in the right direction. You know, unfortunately, it's like trying to take an 18-wheeler and do a U-turn. It's going to take a lot of backing up and, and going forward. You know, it's not like it's just a little Volkswagen and they can just whip it around and, and change direction immediately. So, you know, people that are listening may be like, well, you're not as, as critical or your expectations are as high as they normally are. I, I mean, let's just say that I've tried to look at the broader picture and I feel like that they are making some improvements. Things have gotten better but I would like to see the speed of these improvements to increase. And I feel like that it's the necessity to continue going in this direction. 
for this, for things to continue to get better. And I'm trying not to put the cart in front of the horse. Yeah, I, I like your answer to that one. I think that's very appropriate. VandyFan96 asks, if you're involved and or allowed to speak on it at this point, could you talk about what you know about the Anchor Collective? You and I did not speak about this pre-podcast. I believe it's Jason Burns, a former football player, if I've got that correct, that is leading Vanderbilt's Collective or his, I don't know if he's leading it, but he is, I think, expressed interest at least in heading one up. I don't have any idea where any of that is. That probably really needs to be a future podcast here. But, Will, what do you know about any of that? Yeah, I'm, I'm in the same boat as you, Chris. I really don't know a lot about that. Um, you know, quite honestly, I, don't, I can't give a good educated answer. I don't, I don't want to mention or say anything about hearsay. I definitely don't want to make anything up you know, or basically say anything about something I really have no knowledge of, quite honestly. I think that's the only thing I can say is is that to my understanding, and again, I just said, okay, I'm not going to do this, but I'll just say, according to what I've heard from others, that is in the infancy stages. And that's really the most I can say about it without really just going way off base and just winging it. And I don't, I don't think that's you know the right way to do it. Yeah, f- fair enough. Um, VUNGA says, what are your feelings towards the NIL, the possibility of players forming unions, and the unlimited transfer portal? Do you think it will destroy college athletics because the have-nots will have less and the haves will have more? I don't think it's going to destroy college athletics, but I think that that's – it's. I think what people are missing out on and I'm glad you asked that question because I saw something and you're going to have to, maybe you can edit this for a second, but there was something over the weekend that happened. You know, I live part-time in Louisville and, um, there was a thing this with Penn I mean. State, uh, I think, leading the way to unionize. I think the quarterback at Penn State was talking about building a union. I don't know if that's what you're referring to, if you're referring no, to something it's, else. It's, um, no, this is something, and I just looked it up. So Haley Van Lith, she's a, uh, she's a basketball player on the women's team at the University of Louisville. Okay, and I, I think most of the people look at look at um, this whole thing as how much money are the players going to make? Okay. But there's also some creativity aspect to this. And, and I want to make sure that I give Haley credit, but also give the university of Louisville credit, but also give, I think it was JC Penny credit because, because what this allowed her to do was what you see a lot of NFL players do or NBA players do. I think they took a lot of underprivileged kids and did a little shopping spree at JCPenney that she spearheaded. And it was because of this, she was allowed to do that. Because I think what people are, are forgetting, and this is what I'm dealing with firsthand, quite honestly. 
I think the image and likeness thing has become more of a parental issue than it has been a player issue. Now, these current athletes, they want to make money. They want to get rewarded for what they're doing. They want to put money in their pockets. But the interesting thing that I'm seeing, because I've I spent a little bit of time this summer at AAU games, male and female, going to tournaments, okay, just by chance. And when I start talking to, to parents, that seems to be a bigger issue with them than it is with the actual student. Because the parents are the ones that are talking about how much money their daughter needs to make or how much money their son needs to make before they'll consider their daughter or son going to a, to a specific school. So, you know, that's kind of where the recruiting aspect is coming in. That seems to be a dominant question from parents more so than from students, from players. And again, let me clarify, that doesn't mean that the kids don't want to make money. That's important because, you know, I remember when I was coming out of college, you know, where we would go to these camps and be like, Hey, who's recruiting you? Okay. What are they offering you? That's, you know, below board. You know, are they offering you a car? Are they offering you money? What are they offering you? Now that it's technically legal, it's still the same question. Hey, you and I are both being, you know, recruited by school A, school B, and school C. Well, school A has promised me that I can get this much, and school B has promised this much. What have they promised you? You know, it becomes an ego thing. So I think it can create some issues. So it's not just as simple as, you know, hey, let's help them help the players get money. I think there's still some more guidelines that need to be set before this thing really turns into the wild, wild west. And unfortunately, though, I think we're already almost there. And it's almost like, you know, can we put the genie back in the bottle? And, the, and unfortunately, the answer is no. Okay, I got to do a sidebar here. When you played and were being recruited, what kind of stuff did people you know get under the table? Um, I know some guys that got money. I know, you know, and let, and let me guess the school that paid them never got caught. <laughs> you're exactly correct. Right. Um, you know, I know guys that, that now I can honestly say I never knew anybody that actually received a car. I know guys were given the opportunity to have cars that weren't theirs that their family couldn't afford while they were on campus, but they weren't necessarily allowed to drive the cars home, but they were given the opportunity to have transportation while they were on campus. So however you want to look at it, that's one thing or another, but it's just, you know, there was, there was plenty of illegal things going on. And I can remember specifically me, I, I, I literally, I, I, I kid you not, Chris, I thought like, God, I must, I must not be that good because I'm really not getting much, many offers about, Hey, you know, if you come here, we'll help your parents out with this or we'll do that. I was like, where are all my offers? But then again, when you think about the schools I was looking to go to, you know, they were to my knowledge, pretty above board with Gene Cady at Purdue and CM Newton at Vanderbilt and Bobby Crimmins at Georgia Tech and Terry Holland at Virginia. Now, that doesn't mean that wasn't happening, but, you know, 
I was never offered any of that stuff. You know, I was offered a few things, but none of it, you know, was enough to sway my interest in one school over another. Were those the schools that you came down to along with Vanderbilt before you made your decision? Yes. And those were seriously, you know, I was also recruited by other Big Ten schools, other ACC schools, other SEC schools, but I never really seriously considered those other schools. And a lot of it had to do with my parents and their, you know, they put a lot of importance on education. And I, like I said, I think we've talked about in the past, I really didn't think about or consider playing in the NBA till after, you know, my junior year and how things went then. That's kind of when I first started thinking about, hey, maybe I could play in the NBA. Unlike kids now who, you know, when they step on campus as a freshman, they're just like, yeah, this, this is just a brief stop on my way to the NBA or a brief stop on my way to the NFL. You know, it just the mentality was different back then. I want to return to your career because there was a question about that. But before we go there, getting back on track with where we were going, V.U. Peary says, after looking at the renderings, what are your thoughts on the facilities for football and basketball? Well, I tell you what, the, I'm impressed with what I've seen with uh, the football facilities. You know, the question is, is that how long will it actually take us to get there? I know that that they've given us somewhat of a time frame, but the one thing I will say, you know, they've been somewhat, I don't know what the word is, you know, they're, they feel that they're going to be very successful from a football team's uh, standpoint because of, you know, they're raising ticket prices and, you know, the expansion and, uh, you know, this, that, and the other. But let's also remember, you know, to be able to complete that goal, they got to put a winning product on the field and they got to, they got to win more games as a basketball program, you know, to be able to help with that process of generating donations and, and, building up, you know, Vandy United. So there's some pressure there, not only on Clark as he, you know, continues to turn around the football program, but also, you know, on Jerry Stackhouse to continue to recruit and, you know, be competitive in the SEC and, you know, put a product on the floor that they feel confident can make the NCAA tournament. So there's still some work to be done, but, you know, I, I like the positive thinking. I like, you know, where we're going with this. Cause again, I don't think we have a choice. Um, I know a lot of people are talking about, well, the SEC is considering, you know, removing Vanderbilt or trying to get rid of Vanderbilt. No, they're I don't not. agree with that. <laughs> no, they're not. But at the same time, whether you like it or not, Vanderbilt has to do whatever is necessary within the rules at the present moment to keep up with the Joneses. And the Joneses are every other team within the SEC. And that's, that's the responsibility of the, of the athletic department to figure out how to get that done. J2M asks you, if you donated to the school tomorrow, would you now be able to tell them where you would like that money spent and would they listen? Well, my understanding is the answer to that question is yes. And 
I would think because of the number of complaints regarding that exact issue that they would listen and the money would go exactly where you want it to go. Because I, at this point, you're not in, I don't think they're in a position where they can tell you, no, you can't tell us where to put the money. I think they're in a position right now where they're like, yes, thank you so much for your donation. It will go exactly where you want it to go. Okay, Go Doors 94, what would you consider a successful football season this season? Uh, let's see here. So, so we're talking about 12 games. I think brutal, brutal schedule, my, by the way. Number five strength of schedule in the country, according to Phil Steele. Right. So listen, I think, and I'll go through this real quickly. I think Miami is a toss-up. I feel like we should beat Elon. I think Wake Forest is a toss-up. I feel I feel like going into that game, Wake Forest will be forward, be favored. But to me, it's it's this could be that early game that they jump up and surprise somebody because of you know this of what they can accomplish in camp. They got to they got to hit the ground running. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. I think Northern Illinois should be a win. And then that's where it gets really ugly because, you know, then Alabama, Old Miss, Georgia. I think, you know, let's just – let's not even talk about those three and move on. And let's, you know, say, hey, Missouri, South Carolina, Kentucky, Florida, and Tennessee. I, I think that when you look at all this, you know, if we can somehow – figure out some way with Missouri, South Carolina, you know, those last five games, maybe win two, but you got to be healthy. And that's one of the biggest problems with, you know, Vanderbilt, there's always been a lack of depth and you get that late in the season, you know, you're, you're putting together a team with band-aids and duct tape, right? So as they continue to recruit better, that won't necessarily be a problem, but if they can't stay healthy, I think winning two of those last five games is, is a is a realistic expectation. So then you, when you look at that, you know, I think four wins, it should be the expectation and possibly five. I know some people think I'm crazy, but, you know, let me ask you this question. Chris, considering what you saw last year, do you feel like the team actually got better as the year went on, even though they didn't necessarily, you know, win games? Yeah, I feel like it did. I still like there feel like there's a pretty good gulf between that and, and where they need to be. I just feel like when I look at the league, Will, I think it's Alabama, Georgia, then I think it's uh, ten teams in there. Texas A&M would be at the top. South Carolina would probably be at the bottom. But there's a good bit of parity in the middle of the league. And then I see Missouri is 13 and, and Vandy is 14. Of course, those two teams played a year ago, and it was I don't know a seven ten point game. But I just I still feel like they are a year or two away from being really competitive. Now they they may be able to be competitive late in the year in some of those games, but I I just feel like. 
goodness, as I've watched the league, they, they did get better, but I, I still think that the talent gap on this roster, although they're they're closing it, it's it's closing with freshmen and sophomores, and I just don't think that's ever been a recipe for them to win in this league. Oh, no. It's, uh, I mean, you could talk to every coach in the SEC, ACC, any Power 5 conference. If you're leaning on freshmen and sophomores, you know, you are struggling to win games. There's no question about that. But I just, listen, I don't, it's a big if, you know, as I talked about in the beginning with the running program, you know, if the, if the offensive line continues to develop, if the offensive line can stay healthy, if all of a sudden you're not having to take the left guard and move them to right tackle and move the right tackle to, uh, to left tackle. And, you know, again, all of a sudden, you know, Clark's pulling out band-aids and duct tape and trying to put guys in, or you got to take somebody from the defensive line and put them on the offensive line. I mean, just doing some, having to do some wacky stuff because of injuries. Who knows? I mean, I know it's being optimistic. Do I think they're going to win five games? No. Do I think it's a possibility? It's a possibility. But it's also a possibility of me winning the lottery when I buy a ticket. <laughs> right. But what are the chances of that actually happening? Got to buy the ticket first. Right. So, you know, it just, a lot of things would have to go right for that to happen. And quite honestly, you'd have to be facing one of those teams that they're depleted because of injury. And that's part of the equation of some things you can't control going in your favor. Quarterback gets hurt, running back gets hurt on the other team. One of their best players goes down. It's unfortunate, but that's just what you deal with, right? So asking all that to happen, you know, it, it's it's you know, it's kind of like wishing on a shooting star. But at the same time, I think that's where you talk about Clark Lee making the statements that he makes. He wants you to have those. He wants you to have those expectations. He wants you to have those dreams. And I think that's what he's asking of his players is to believe. And sometimes we see it all the time in horse racing and in athletics. Is you'd be amazed what you can, can you can do if you actually believe. Um, but I still think, as you just pointed out, there is a pretty big discrepancy between the level of talent at Vanderbilt and other schools. But it's they're going in the right direction. If if you were asking me to go to Vegas and put money down. I'd say that, you know, I would put money down on the over-under at three and a half. And I would probably go under. But I just, I feel like there are certain aspects of the schedule that are in Vanderbilt's favor with Elon and Northern Illinois, right? Let's just take those two right there. And somehow win two of the next 10. And who knows what happens in Hawaii? I don't, you know, like I said, it's the element of the unknown is what makes it exciting. I can honestly say I watched every single game last year that was on TV. And I'm not talking about the ones that were on ESPN plus because I couldn't get those, but I'm talking about the ones that were on either ESPN or the SEC network. I've used myself and watched from start to finish because I wanted to see what the product was like. And I wanted to see what these guys were doing in the fourth quarter when they were getting their ass handed to them. And the one thing I think we can all say is they were still trying 
even though they were, you know, fighting uphill. Let's see. H.D. Young has got a question about basketball. In what area would you say Jerry Stackhouse and his staff are doing the best, and in what area do you think they need to improve the most? Well, I think that, you know, that's kind of a two-folded question. I think they still need to do a better job with recruiting. And I still think that they need to do a better job with, and this is where, you know, I think a coach has to just accept the fact that I got to go this route is picking up some talent in the transfer portal. And I think they need to do a better job of, you know, developing the players they have. But I do think that the talent that they are recruiting is getting better, but I still think it needs to take another step forward. And I think that, um, you know, they are de- developing guys, but I would, I was kind of, you know, it's kind of like with football and the university as a whole. I, I, I think that it should be a little quicker as far as basketball goes, because now you're dealing with 14 players, is, is, you know, to 70 or 80. Ann Arbordor says, tell us your favorite CM Newton story that maybe shows a side to CM that fans may not have seen. <laughs> um, I can't remember. We all, we talk about this with Barry Goheen and Booker, Steve Reese. He, it was a game where he blew his top. And the one thing that CNN rarely did, and I'm not really sure. I don't have a specific example of him using foul language. He used words in a foul way, but it wasn't foul language to get his point across. But there was a game, it was, a, it was either Alabama or Auburn, maybe. And this is when I was younger where he just exploded at halftime and said some things that really caught us all off guard. And again, he wasn't dropping F-bombs or anything like that, just using certain words that caught your attention to be like, holy cow, he's really pissed. And that was that was quite a – I mean, he did a uh, 99.9% of the time he did an incredible job of controlling his emotions. And it's just one of those stories where, you know, he really got everybody's attention and that didn't happen often, but that was one of the things that made for me playing for CM so enjoyable because he knew how to get to you with kindness, with, um, accountability, with responsibility. He, he wasn't necessarily the type of guy that would dress players down and tell them how bad they were and things of that nature. He did a, he did a nice job of getting his point across, but doing it that where when you walked out of the room, you know, excuse my language, you just didn't feel like a total piece and had no value whatsoever. You actually felt like, okay, I understand. I let you down, but it won't happen again because he did, he did an excellent job of motivating you and building you up. Okay, last one, and this one comes from Willie210. What player did you enjoy playing against the most in college because he brought out the best in you? Um, 
You know, that's really a good question because I didn't really. You played against Dwayne Shinsis, really right? One. Yeah. You know, I had an incident against Shinsis, but it wasn't like I always every year when the schedule came out, looked forward to playing him. But, you know, I guess that's probably a pretty good example. You know, I always enjoyed playing against other centers. Shinsis from Florida, Roth. Uh, you know, from uh, Tennessee. Um, you know, I think it was um, David David Moore, maybe from Auburn. I, I'm not sure if that's the right last name. Um, was Kessler know, at Georgia when you were Kentucky. there? Yeah, I played against Kessler. Yeah. Um. Um, I enjoyed, you know, um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because I, I, I didn't necessarily look at individual matchups. I looked at teams. Um, you know, I enjoyed playing against J.R. Reed that year we, we beat North Carolina and, um, you know, Dean Garrett against Indiana. You know, I, I kind of got more, I mean, I, I really enjoyed I playing against the Russian team every year, you know, in our uh, preseason games. But I was more attuned to the team we were playing. Dyron Nix with Tennessee was a guy I kind of always looked forward to playing to because, of, you know, just how athletic he was. Um, but there really wasn't a specific player. You know, I like beating teams more so than I did, you know, specific players because I didn't, you know, I wasn't the type of guy that, you know, hated on guys because, you know, of who they were or where they went to school. I was more about, you know, hey, we always wanted to beat Tennessee, but, you know, just like any other team in the SEC. Will, we are out of questions. Was there anything that you wanted to tackle today that we didn't hit in the course of the podcast? No, I think we did a pretty good job of, you know, covering all the bases. Um, the only thing that I would say is this. With them, if, let me make sure I get this correct, because I've, I've followed this now the last two days on Twitter and, and been looking into it as far as guys talking about you know, it looks like, and it may have already happened, but I just want to be clear here, Chris, that the transfer portal is basically going to become, for lack of a better word, unlimited. I, that that's correct? the way that I read it, too. Yes. So I actually feel like that, quite honestly, in my opinion, truly benefits Vanderbilt quite a bit because. I think as players get smarter, and I don't, I don't necessarily mean more intelligent. Let's, and I'm not calling them dumb. I'm just saying when players start to figure it out, when they get recruited, right, and they sign with somebody and they go to that school and they don't play, and they're like, I'm out of here. You know, I should be playing. I'm better than, you know, the guys that played ahead of me. 
and then a couple schools bite and they transfer and all of a sudden they don't play again or don't play as much as they think they should, when they go back into that transfer portal the second time, I think that they're going to be a little smarter, a little more educated about, hey, maybe I'm not as good as I think I was, or maybe I'm a little ignorant. Maybe I need to think more about going someplace where I feel like I can really play, I can, can really contribute. Let's not think so much about the NBA right now, Let's think about actually playing in college and getting an education. And then people are like, okay, well, what you're doing is you're taking lesser talent. Not necessarily. Because there's a lot of really good players that don't make it at schools for one reason or another. It's the system. They clash with the coach. They don't get along with the other players. Who knows what it is? But then all of a sudden they transfer and they take off like they're on a rocket ship to the moon for some reason. You're like, why couldn't he do that at this school or that school? And because something just clicks. And I think that that's where you like, you know, you and I talk about it's, you know, you gotta be, you know, you gotta be selective as far as Stackhouse goes, as far as Clark Lee goes, as far as, you know, these other coaches go about, you know, picking and choosing, you know, who you take in the transfer portal. But I also feel like that, you know, as players for a lack of a better, instead of saying fail, don't live up to their own expectations at one school or another. Maybe they realize that, you know, Vanderbilt's more suited for what I need. And then that's where we've talked about from, you know, coaching standpoint, development comes from this guy still has potential. This guy still has talent but he hasn't been able to succeed at these other schools. I, as a coach can identify talent, feel like that this individual has talent, can succeed in the academic requirements that Vanderbilt has and still be a very important contributor at our university. Just because you go to the transfer portal as a coach doesn't necessarily mean that you're looking for, the only thing I'm taking is a starter. If I'm going to transfer portal, the kid has to be a starter. You can still find valuable pieces in a transfer portal that's not a starter, but a guy that comes off the bench and helps you win games. And that's where I think that if that is the case and this does come to fruition and you can continue to go in the transfer portal as many times as you want, Vanderbilt is a school or schools like Vanderbilt can really succeed and take advantage of that. Will, I've appreciated you coming on. It's been a lot of fun. Really looking forward to getting to football season. Hopefully we can do several of these. I know you keep a keen eye on all the programs. Anyway, thank you so much for joining us today and look forward to next time whenever that might be. Well, I appreciate it, Chris. I mean, listen, anybody knows that I have a passion for Vanderbilt. You know, I think that I was very fortunate to win, you know, four championships you know, in my time in the NBA, but it's just the relationships that I developed, what I learned at Vanderbilt, you know, that means a lot to me. And I'm always, you know, I know a lot of people will say I'm, I am critical of Vanderbilt. I am. My expectations of that university and the athletic department are higher than, than most. And I feel like I continue to hold them to those expectations. And some may see, may see that as unrealistic. And at times I may be critical 
but I think that they can, much like Clark Lee said, reach those expectations. But I think that it's, you know, I've had to adjust my time frame to get there. But time will tell. But as you just mentioned, I am excited about the football season. I am looking forward to watching it. And I'm sure I'll watch some of these games with one eye closed and one eye open. But I just, I feel like the football team's headed in the right direction. And I, and to me, this is also a, you know, a very important year for, for men's basketball and Jerry Stackhouse. So, you know, there's a lot to look forward to. There's a lot of question marks, but there's always the element of the unknown. I like the expression of watching the football season with one eye open and one eye closed. I've never heard anybody say that, but I think that's the most appropriate thing maybe that's ever been said about watching Vanderbilt football. So, and we'll see. All right, Will, we'll catch you again soon. All right, Chris, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We thank our presenting sponsor, Jody Jones DDS. We thank our other sponsors, Sutherland and Belk and MyPerfectFranchise.net. If you're interested in sponsoring this podcast, and that's how we make this work, please email me at chrislee70 at gmail.com. We also ask that you subscribe to our website, VandySports.com. That is $99 a year. You get things there that you don't get here. And, of course, please rate, review, and subscribe where you see our podcast. That helps us get noticed. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at VandySports.com. Follow me at ChrisLee70. And finally, subscribe to our Vandy Sports YouTube channel as well. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast, which is part of the 440 Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. We'll catch you with another episode coming very soon.